Oh, hey, hi. Welcome back to um, the show. The show where we talk to people for a long time. And and uh, what I like about that is lots of re- really crazy random things come up. So today we're going to be talking with Jared Zimmer. Me and him go way back to maybe four years ago when we started working together at the same parish. And we are still friends, uh, even though he no longer works with me. Um, but I don't hold that against him. He now works for Word on Fire. We talk about he's one of the biggest uh, Tolkien J.R.R. Tolkien nerds I've ever met in my life, um, and just an interesting guy. And so he came over. He came into the studio, which I really am liking. That I'm really liking people coming in person to the studio. Um, and we talk about Tolkien, and we get all over the place. Talk about um, what else do we talk about? Communion and or community and brotherhood. We talk about all types of weird things. Um, but I want to remind you that uh, to keep me going, to keep this going, uh, we just need help. This is a, this is this is what we would call independent podcasting, independent media, independent making of stuff. And uh, yeah, we need help. And I would rather not slap this show with a ton of ads. So what I am going to do um, is just tell you to if you if you like this and want to you know encourage me to keep doing this and just want to become actually part of the show where you can see some behind the scenes stuff. You can get early access to who I'm going to be interviewing and submit questions. You can become more part of a part of the show, get your name mentioned on all of the shows and um, yeah, all sorts of other weird reward based things. But anyways, if you want to do some of those things, you want to support the show, you can go to patreoncom slash the show and become, you know, become a, 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 well, not a producer. What would you call it? Like a, like a founder. I don't know a financial backer be part of the show. Um, so check out patreon.com slash the show to go support the show and get a lot of perks and behind the scenes stuff, access to, um, yeah, just access, just access. That's what everyone wants is access. That's why you come here for access. So, uh, we give some shout outs to, uh, to a few people who have given us some love on social media. And so if you want to get your name shouted out, a good way to do that is just to share stuff or get the word out about the show. And I will be sure to do the best I can to, to just give you a shout out on the show. So today, Jared, um, well, I just won't spoil it, but Jared, Jared, uh, tells us, um, what he thinks about some people's names. So that's all I'm going to say. Thanks a lot. This is really fun. This is a fun little experiment. So if you have any suggestions or anything, I don't know, hit me up on, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just um, send me a letter in the mail. So without further ado, this is Jared and I talking about all sorts of weird stuff. So I hope you enjoy it. Bye. Or hello? I don't know. You staying home tonight? I hadn't planned on it, no. Plan on it. All right, man. Welcome so what, to, what's the topic? Um, Are we recording? Uh, the topic is I don't know. I don't really have I don't really have topics. Now now here's what's hard is when I interview some people that I ha- I've never interviewed before. I start with the like where were you born and then like oh, kind of yeah. you know I yeah. kind of go through that. But it's been weird with like when Ali Hoffman was on. Do you know? Yeah, because yeah. then it's like it's kind of not that it's boring, but it's more difficult to be like oh interesting you grew up oh wow wow. Um, so yeah, I don't really have, I don't really have topics, but, but, oh, I want to do this. 
because uh, you're a big you're a big Tolkien fan. Indeed. Do you think you can, based on people's names, classify whether or not they would be like what race they would be in the Tolkien universe in like the oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings universe? Okay, Maybe. I'll just give Maybe. you a random name. And um <clears throat> these are just shout outs people that have that have just been been friendly on social media with the show. Okay. If there was a character in Lord of the Rings called Josh Watten Wattenberger, would that's, that be that a human, dwarfish. a dwarf, d- a dwarf? Yeah. What kind of dwarf would that? A Josh Watt- Wattenberger? <laughs> well, there's only there's only a few like clans of dwarvish. Okay. Whereas in like elves, there's actually like different um, levels. Are elves dwarves? No. Okay. Are dwarves previous elves that then? So went- dwarves came about from in the Silmarillion. Whenever the uh, Middle Earth is being created. You actually have these kind of angelic figures that Eru, who is like God, basically. Eru. Eru. Sounds E-R- delicious. E-R-U. Okay. Uh, or Iluvatar, however you want to say it. Oh Those two gosh. different names for the okay. same guy. All right. Okay. Um, so he basically gives the power of creation to the angels, and they create things through music. Okay. Uh, one angel in particular made the elves. Another angel actually kind of broke the rules and made dwarves. How did we, what was the rule that he broke? He made them ugly or well, short? Well, they were ground dwellers and they were... Um, How'd that break the rules? Well, it wasn't as quite as beautiful oh. as, as what was intended. Is that, is that racist to say that dwarves are... No, because okay. no, right. they're very proud of themselves. Dwarves are ugly. Know? And because of the way they were created, they're naturally inclined to dig in the ground and get shiny things. So they, <laughs> they get like gold and diamonds and so they're like filthy rich, but they still live underground. Isn't that kind of mean to create something that just has an incessant need to dig into the ground? <laughs> well, I mean, like a cocker a mole, spaniel, right? Or like, like a mole. Right? Yeah. They live in the ground. Right? Or some dogs that are just, they, you, you bring them outside and they're just like, dig, dig, yeah. dig. Yeah. I don't know if it's, if it's mean or if it's just creative, but in, in terms of Middle Earth, um, the creation of it, it was quote unquote breaking the rules, if you will. To make ugly dwarves. Yes. To make ugly people. Because, yeah. like, you think about, so. Elves are pretty, so orcs, elves are normally pretty, right? And right. always white. In well, <laughs> technically, they never say it in the book, right? Yeah, in the book, and actually, Tolkien was against mm-hmm. any fantasy being made into a movie. Um, so huh. he, he probably wouldn't be too happy with the fact that his be- books became movies because they're supposed to be fantastical. Your your mind in your brain, be, right? Your imagination is supposed to create the world. Yeah. And so, because if you want to imagine just like elves. Just being Asian or yeah, it doesn't matter. African right. or African American, right? Like it doesn't or um, Norwegian. And uh, he um, was because the main thing is like, well, now you're you're experiencing it through the imagination of someone else versus mm. your own imagination. So that's why he had it. I wonder. Yeah, he's probably he his like the best version of that would be just not reading a book. He probably just sat in his room by himself and just imagined things. <laughs> he's like, yeah. "Oh, this well, is the best way. <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the next chapter." Just well, the way he described it. it is actually it was it was uh, handed to him, and he was basically just kind of the journalist oh, taking it down. Oh, a Joseph Smith situation in a certain sense. Yeah, yeah. He's got some Only gold, not, not crazy, some gold bars in his in his hat and his <laughs> his son's like, "What are you and working he lost on him in behind there? a dumpster?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Josh Watten, Wattenberger, uh who I think we I think we share the same college and but he shared some love on on uh on social media. Okay, what about a creature from Middle Earth named Keith Hotop? Well, I know Keith. So oh, that's the yeah. difficulty I'm running into, but just looking at the name, I, I would say human. Hobbit. 
Okay, Hobbit? Hu- okay, no, human. I would, okay, I would say human. Yeah. Because he's a towering tall figure? Or yeah, just the I, name? And part of it is because I know him. Mm. So I, I'm seeing his face and thinking, yeah. thinking like, um, probably like the same race of like Aragorn or Ooh, somebody like that. You wow. know what I mean? So. See, I was thinking maybe the Hotop Hobbits, you know? Well, that's true. The Hotops. But but Keith the is Underhills like six and the ho- eight. So <laughs> he's a very large Hobbit. <laughs> so okay, hard, so, it's hard for me to imagine that. So you're thinking from the line of Aragorn. Yeah. yeah. Are you being a little maybe too nice? Perhaps, but I mean, I would say he is at least Gondorian. Who's the guy who always dies in every movie? Uh, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Yeah. I feel like Keith might be like a Sean Bean brother. Well, Gondorian. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Men of Gondor. Okay. What would be Keith Hotop's weapon of choice? Um, probably bow and arrow. Probably yeah. Probably bow and arrow. He's <laughs> a bow and arrow guy. Okay, uh, this other guy, Dominic D'Souza. So that kind of uh, somewhat sounds... samurai. <laughs> There's no samurai. Dominic's, um, Dominic's a cool guy too. That's he... a tough one because it's kind of a mixture of like D'Souza sounds very elvish. Yeah, but Dominic sounds very Hobbit. Ooh, so maybe it's one of these situations where you know, like a little intermingling. Yeah, a little, on. little inter interspecies. <laughs> so he's like one of the taller hobbits. Yeah, he's a tall. And, and wait, Hobbit long... or elf? Elf and human or elf and elf, hobbit? elf and hobbit? <gasps> is that ever? Is that it's even never possible? Happened. It's never happened. Man, that's like a chihuahua and a noted and like a a chihuahua and like a rot. No, a ch- what's a very tall? A uh, great dane. A great dane and a chihuahua yeah. making. Oh, poor chihuahua. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe or poor. Or the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So a great Chihuahua, yeah. or would you call it a Chihuahua Dane? So we're thinking Dominic is a Hobbit Elven yeah, yeah. mix. Yes. Okay. Next is Rob Hamrick. That sounds that sounds very dwarf. Dwarf. Yeah. yeah I mean that was Hamrick. Easy. That's, Hamrick. And it's interesting because if you read the books, most of the time when you think of like language, although he created his own stuff, but. Um, at least in my own mind, I tend to think of like the Eastern European names that are much more kind of, that stuff is always Dorvish, you know? Oh, Um, interesting. So, whereas kind of the more, um, for lack of a better word, like anglicized names are typically human. Mm. And then you have more of like the Latin sounding names, which is more elves. For elves. Okay. Okay. So then you get orcs and it's like insanely harsh. Yeah. They're weird. Rob Hamrick. That also... That also would be a really interesting, um, maybe like a Limp Biscuit cover band. <laughs> yeah. The Rob Hamricks. Hamricks. Does or it say Ham- Hamrick or Hammerick? I don't know. Hammer. I mean, there's two. You got to pronounce the hammer. If you got hammer in your name. Hammer. Hammer. I'm a Hammerick. <laughs> Mr. Hammerick. <laughs> Have you been reading any other interesting books besides Tolkien recently? So I'm actually reading a couple books, um, but I'm reading... One called The Music of the Republic. Um, hmm. It's by Eva Brand, and she actually – it's okay. essays by her um, about the Plato's um, dialogues of Socrates. Um, so she goes, he goes, she goes through four of the dialogues. The Music of the Republic. Yeah. Essays on Socrates. Okay. Yeah, that one right there. Okay, okay. Um, so you're it's reading really that. good. I'm only into like the first are chapter, you, so we're going through Phaedo. Are you reading first. this just for fun? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm reading that, and then I'm also reading a book called Tolkien, St. Thomas, and the Metaphysics of Fairy. Of fairies? Yeah, fairy. Oh. Like, like basically fantasy, if oh, okay. you will. Okay. Which is really Saint, good. Tolkien, St. Thomas. And the Metaphysics of Fairy. Man. Yeah. The Flame, the flame, the flame Imperishable. Imperishable. Yeah. Whoa, this is interesting. It's really good. 
So what is the, what what is that? What's that one about? So it's basically talking about um, number one is like the influence of Saint Thomas Aquinas on J.R.R. Tolkien, hmm. and then how the metaphysics, the Thomistic metaphysics, made it made its way into the Tolkien world, particularly through the Cimmerillion. He kind of focuses in on that. So like the nature of God, the nature of being, things like that. It's, I feel like that book really doesn't get as much credit or doesn't get as much publicity. The Cimmerillion. No, it doesn't because it's kind of hard to read. It's not. It's not like the Lord of the Rings. So he published that after. Did yeah. he publish that f- after the Lord of the uh, Like what order? Certain, yeah. Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And then. So really. And then that. Yeah. And then are there other books that are There's part of the like world? There's other like stories that he, he never like published himself, but mm-hmm. his son put together and, and published them. So there's yeah. several poems. In fact, he um, did an entire translation of Beowulf. Um, and it's, it's his trans cause he was a, a linguist at heart, yeah. an etymologist. And, um, so it's, it's his translation of it. It's really interesting. But then he also has a couple of the short stories. There's another story called the children of Harine that a lot of people haven't read that I think it's fat. It's, it's amazing. And it's part it's of fantastic. The, it's part of that world. It's all part of middle earth, yeah. but it's like different eras and epochs throughout okay. it. So, uh, but the same basic feel, um, yeah. just different stories huh. throughout. That's crazy, man. So the dude was just a genius, man. That's crazy like, that he just created this world and then just kept populating stories in this yeah. like fake historical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some that are called the Lost Tales, and it's mm-hmm. all these tales revolving around it, and like volumes of it. What what drives someone to write that much fiction? Like, what do you think dro- dro- drove him? I mean, C.S. Lewis, it felt like he, because Tolkien didn't write any nonfiction, did he? No. no. So well. Like, not in a published way, but yeah. he, like there's a whole book of his letters to okay. people that is technically nonfiction. But, but like C.S. Lewis, you know, like he writes all this nonfiction and right. then writes like the fiction. Abolition of man. Yeah. He's got, yeah. But, but like famously, right? Tolkien didn't like no. some of C.S. Lewis or yeah. Some of he, did, Lewis well, he didn't like Chronicles. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. He disagreed with it because it was very analogy ridden. But some so. of, some of his other stuff too, like the great divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's yeah. just like, like there's a, you can tell there's a point to it that he's, Right. C.S. Lewis is getting right. across, but, uh, but Tolkien's like, was different. Yeah, yeah. All of Tolkien's is just this crazy world. Yeah. Yeah. He was very much into myth, but do you think he had, but do you think he did have an ulterior motive or did, like, was there any signs or him talking about well, like, according to him, it was to create a mythology for the English people. Huh. Um, and so, I mean, obviously there's been tons of myths down the, you know, down the yeah. history of the English people. Um, but for him, that's why he created it. Um, so he felt like they didn't have enough. I think too that um, it's interesting because both Lewis and Tolkien and uh, and several other writers that came out of that era were all in World War One, mm. so they experienced like the worst of the worst of yeah. humankind. I yeah. mean, in trench warfare, which at that time was unseen, you know, just a totally different style of war. Yeah, they were both in the trenches themselves. Yeah, um, and the way they came out of that is how are we going to save humanity from itself? Is it? And they is, really saw story as an, as a potential. Yeah, like a little bit of escapism in some a ways. Bit. Like, yeah, but it's but it's not like escaping totally from the real world. No, in fact, he would he would say the the person in jail has a duty to escape. What? What does that mean? So, a person in jail? So a, a a person in prison has a duty to escape. And so the way he sees it is that oftentimes this kind of what we see and on the materialistic sense is sort of this prison. Hmm. And as as Catholics, we would say that escaping that is to start to see the metaphysical reality behind the things. Whoa. Right? So like 
like the forms basically if yeah. you go back to like socrates yeah, and those yeah. guys and so for him it wasn't escapism it was more of trying to better understand the world in and of itself yeah, yeah and that's yeah. why that book the flame imperishable is really interesting because he's introducing metaphysics into a world without you even really knowing it yeah that's interesting like it's almost like or there's some quote i forget who says this maybe it's gk chesterton that says like the ethics of Elfland. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's an orthodoxy. He's got a chapter. Yeah, yeah, that. like yeah. the ethics of Elfland are, are in some ways much more apparent and powerful in argument because yeah. it kind of takes you outside of this world but still, you know, teaches you somehow some yeah. like truth. Yeah, it's powerful stuff, man. Like I mean when when the movies came out, people got back into the books. You know, it was, became really popular back in the sixties. And Tolkien actually got a little upset because it started to turn into hippie culture. And what did the the Lord of the Rings books? Um, it like turned, the the people that were fans of it. Yeah, like hippie the hippie culture adopted like, it, as in like the drug culture. They started to oh. not the hippie culture and like the free love and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. more the drug culture of the hippies. They were the and ones he, that were really adopting it. In the America. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. Really, like, writing him letters and all this stuff. And he's like, that's not who I, you know, that's not. like." But it was helping people to change their lives. And yeah. and, and then when the movies came back out, there was actually, I forget where I saw it, but there was a, a, a long uh, article about how people are experiencing conversion just because of this yeah, story. right? Like, because in some ways, it's weird that he was upset about it because in some ways, it doesn't matter whether or not. I mean, even if even if this, you know, I don't know, group of hippies are like, yeah, man, this is totally trippy. This is crazy. <laughs> like, at least they're interacting with right. something that right. he wrote from a from a true place, like that had that has truth in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they're not. It's not like they're reading The Stranger or some other weird like right non. But he was a, he was a pretty staunch traditionalist, yeah. uh, too. So I think that was kind of one of the things that's like it went against his own uh, uh, personality uh, a little bit to yeah. know that that's because like even if you go back to the old covers of books, yeah. of his particularly, there's one called the Tolkien Reader that's still around quite a bit that the cover looks super trippy. Can I pull it up? And uh, yeah, probably. Oh, it looks trippy. Like so, he was upset about that. Well, just kind of like that. That's not the point of this story right <laughs> this story is myth and y'all are turning it into i'm so misunderstood right that, this that one top one right there yeah Ugh. look at that picture so like that's what started to become produced so he's like i don't like this this isn't <laughs> what the heck man did he have no so. say in this How come we well, that was published later um, and it was it was it's mostly um this is the weird i if someone if someone took my face and made some type <laughs> of cover like this i would be so yeah. angry and and the sad part is in that book there is several really good short stories of his um but then also a an essay on the basically ethics of fantasy huh um it's really really interesting uh book but the adventures of tom bombadil I would want to read that. That's yeah, really good. See, on fairy stories. Where? Contains on fairy stories right there. Uh, under tree and leaf, it says oh, contains, yeah, contains on fairy, on fairy stories. stories. Yeah. It's Professor really Tolkien's now famous essay on the form of the fairy story and the treatment of fantasy. I think that's actually where I heard or read about the escapism. Yeah. Man, you know, it. man, that sucks when you start uh, putting putting out this art that you really believe in, and then this whole other group of people are like, <laughs> "This is the best." And it's always you're like, "Oh man, yeah, like, it's weird what do too I do? What do I do?" With Tolkien that? in particular, like you know, I mean, obviously, I showed you a book about the metaphysics, and I mean, it, it's a very well respected uh, book in academia. Yeah, but you have these extremely 
different sides of how people are interpreting it. Mm. So like one time Peter Jackson was asked, you know, the director of the Lord of the Rings was asked about um, the, the message of Lord of the Rings. And he said, care for the earth. What? Yeah. Come yeah. on. So that was the way he interpreted it, right? Huh. And then you have some other people. I mean, read some of Joseph Pierce's work yeah. on, on Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Um, he really explains it really well. But, I mean, some of it gets, like, weird. Yeah. People, it, people start um, explaining uh, things in, like, a sexual way and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but then you have this other side that is, is typically a little bit way more understanding of, cause in order to interpret something like that, you have to know the person, yeah. you have to know like where he was raised. You yeah. have to know, you know, cause like the, the metaphysics one, the very, the whole first part of the book, he's talking about the reason it's, it's feasible to understand that St. Thomas Aquinas, um, had a major impact on him was because the school, the oratory that he was raised because, you know, his mom died whenever he was young and a priest took him and his brother in. Oh, dang. Um, so he was raised by a priest in, a, in a all boys. Oratory. Wait, where was his dad? Uh, his dad died when he was young too. Wow. Um, his dad was a soldier in South Africa and, um, so he wasn't around him very much, but then he died mm. and then his mom died. Um, he calls her a martyr actually, because she converted to Catholicism and her family disowned her completely. Dang. And for a woman in that, at that era, yeah, that was a big was deal. Death sentence, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so she ended up, uh, dying and, and anyway, um, literally devoured by her, by her relatives. <laughs> they literally ate her. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Uh, you know, the school he was in, this was right after Leo XIII's Eterni Patris came out What's that? about, um, a return to the Thomistic way of teaching and the mm. Thomistic understanding of yeah. metaphysics. Yeah. And that school would have been the precise type of school that would have taken in that call from huh. Leo XIII. Uh, but then so also, he's getting lots of like Thomas Aquinas big time at that school. Yeah. Yeah. And it was huh. all, you know, Catholic boys school. Sorry, you know, I interrupted you. You were going to say at um, that time something? He also had a, I think it was a copy of, ah, now I'm forgetting. I can't remember if it was a copy of the Summa or a, another, a different book that he had. I believe it was the Summa. Was the, what the was only it? Aquinas Eternus Pot? It's an encyclical. Et- Eterni oh. Patris. Okay, sorry. That This is great. This is great radio right here. Just listening to me, <laughs> looking typing. for links and typing. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to add that in there. Yeah. Man, crazy, crazy stuff, man. Tolkien, Tolkien, man. What's funny is, that, so my my dad has never been into, um, you know, I Lord of the Rings was one of the first things that I really took seriously in in reading. Yeah, how and when, turned how me old into were a reader. you? I was a senior in high school. And what what got you into that? So we had a um, literature professor um, that was actually he was an atheist at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. um, but he, you know, shaved head, killer beard, smelled like tobacco, just mm. the coolest dude. Um, and so we'd have great conversations and for one of our final projects, he said, just, you know, pick anything you want to read. Yeah. And it was right around the same time that Fellowship of the Ring came out in movies. And I was like, you know, before I see the movie, I'd kind of like to see what this is about. So yeah. I picked it up and just, just blown away, mm. you know, and read all three books in like three months, like yeah. just knocked it out. Yeah. And, um, what was, what was the, what were the things that as a high schooler, senior in high school, what were the things that resonated for you? I think part of it is, I mean, it, I mean, I could go into all kinds of. I remember, stuff, but... I remember as a high schooler reading through it, and I don't know why. It's, I mean, it's not a, it's not necessarily a risque book, right. but I don't know why. I, I still have the feeling of reading through it, 
and feeling like it was mature yeah. or feeling yeah. like I was reading something that was smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it wasn't necessarily just smart. Even it was almost like, it was almost like I was like, kind of not that I was hiding it from my parents, but I was kind of like, Oh man, like this is serious. Stuff. You know, I don't know. It is, I don't know where that came from, but there was some, something about it that was like, Oh man, like this I is, think it's also just, this it, is adult stuff. Yeah. And in, in this world too, like, Right is right, wrong is wrong. Yeah, you know, good people are good people. Yeah, they're, because a lot of times the heroes that we get today are kind of this mixture between bad and good, and yeah, there, yeah. there's something good to say to that. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's a realistic vision of what humanity yeah. is. But for him, it was, and and even with him, I mean, you know, you have um, betrayal within yeah. the story and stuff like that. But but you still had this sense of like purpose, and yeah. mission, yeah, and, yeah, and you understand that like taking. Taking um, evil actions changes you. Yeah, as an individual. yeah, yeah. So Gollum is the great example of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. And also just his ability to explain like the world and yeah. all that is just unbelievable. The other thing I, I now that I'm thinking about it is another part of it was feeling like there was a lot that I didn't understand. Yeah. That really yeah. pulled me in too. Like what are these words? Yeah, almost, what are these right away? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, what? What is? What is going on? And he doesn't, you know, it's not just cut and dry and very simple. It, I mean, C.S. Lewis, you know, Chronicles of Narnia is great too, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's where that came from. It was like, whoa, this weird language and what's going on, and yeah. and it felt also gritty. It felt like, like, uh, not not. Um, it didn't feel feel PG. Right. It felt like right. people could die. Yeah. You know, I don't Absolutely. know. There's danger. Yeah, danger there's something involved. real yeah. danger dangerous about it. Yeah, um <clears throat> and almost right away I started reading other stuff about Tolkien yeah. and and like what why he wrote what he wrote and stuff like that. So it was it was really interesting, but um So as a know, high schooler. Yeah, as a high schooler. Uh, before high school. that I I never read anything. Yeah. Um and then I read him and now I'm a voracious reader. Yeah, I yeah. love to read. Yeah, so yeah. It's for me. Not only did he cause kind of a conversion of heart for me, but then also just a conversion into the beauty of the written word. Yeah. Did that so, change your experience of high school? The rest of your senior year of high school, or like yeah, going into college? Towards the end of it, but it definitely <laughs> uh, changed. It changed mostly for college. Um, but like once I got into college, it wasn't really the actual college classes yeah. that it changed it for me. But I mean, I was reading like Don Quixote and you know the Man in the Iron Mask and yeah. all these classics that yeah. uh, were certainly not part of schooling but yeah, yeah. but i i had this side of me that just loved to read and i it took me into the classics actually it's, yeah it's kind of funny how but especially this this kind of um classically masculine adventure type yeah stuff that seemed like that i always remember you saying or i always remember like in stories that you've told of your past feeling like that was a huge it was like a renaissance for you or i yeah, don't know it was like yeah. some resurgence for you these like masculine adventure um stories i don't know yeah and it because in a lot of them um you know not not to negate our current culture because there's still good stuff made today i mean i i'm actually about halfway through the second book of game of thrones uh right now the books yeah wait um, they started out as books right yeah, yeah 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 um and so it's called clash of kings is the yeah. second uh book it's actually called a song of ice and fire most people don't know it by game of thrones are the books the- that are the books as steamy as the uh as the no, television series, no, it's funny. I mean, there's definitely scenes yeah. uh, in it, but yeah. no, HBO totally yeah. went you know yeah. full on with it, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's certainly references and mm-hmm. there's scenes and and even language and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's different reading it versus viewing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but and HBO certainly took their leeway with yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and you're a big Ender's 
Ender's Game fan. I right? like Ender's. Yeah, I've, but I've only read Ender's Game. I've I only read, read the first one yeah, too. I haven't read. That's a fantastic. Book. The, it is. The, I thought the movie was pretty good too. The I movie was, pretty, was pretty good. It missed some. But. Yes, and uh, and I I was the classic like book fan that was like, no, no! they missed this and this and. <laughs> Um, well, I wanted to scratch my eyeballs out when I saw the Hobbit trilogy. Oh yeah, Those were that was bad. I that was like bad. Those. You know what? And I don't know if I'm. It's just because I watched it as a kid, but I still to this day there's this like old version of the Hobbit that's the a cartoon, cartoon yeah, which I still in my head think is fantastic, but I haven't watched it in a long <laughs> yeah. time. But it was super creepy as a kid watching. Yeah, it. Like, yeah. What is this? <laughs> um, so I'm gonna add Ender's Game again. Great radio. Just listening to me adding. Ender's Game has a lot of really great. If, for for the for anyone who wants uh, book ideas for their kid, especially high schoolers, yeah. man, man, Ender, man, this is such a great like, like, um, yeah. There's a lot of leadership stuff in here that I really appreciated. Anyways, so you're reading Game of Thrones. Yeah. What yeah. Else are you so at any at any given time, I always have a novel open. So that's that's the novel I've got. You place uh, it on right you place it on an altar in the middle of your room or in the <laughs> middle of your middle of your house. <laughs> Um, so I think, at, oh, I also, I picked up, but it's, it's thick, um, is Modern Times by Paul Johnson. Ooh. Um, I don't know. It's a really good book. Um, Modern Times. But I'm only like 150 pages into it. I'm not, not too far into it. Why should people read that one? Well, Paul Johnson is known as like one of the, the best, um, biographers and like, uh, I guess you'd call him like a journalist of sociology. Mm-hmm. Um, and Modern Times, it, it kind of gives a lot of like the background of, how we ended up as a relativistic materialistic culture. Hmm. Um, and he starts in the twenties with Einstein's theory of relativity, Rel- relativity, Rel- relativity. Yeah. He has a really good biography on Socrates, which was recommended to me, um, from one of my professors at Holy Apostles. Huh. And then, uh, I read his biography on Churchill, which is pretty short. Um, and then my dad and I were talking about some stuff and, and this book came up and yeah. I was like, I think I'm going to pick that up, but it's, yeah. but it's like 4,000 pages. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Have but. you read any Flannery O'Connor? I've only read a little bit. So I've only read one short story of hers. Which one? Um, Wise Blood. Which one's that? So that's the, that one the one where he's they... on a train. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't read yeah. that one. I have this book, The Complete Works of Flannery O'Connor, and I, I don't know, I bought it some like... I picked. I mostly picked them up because of Bishop Barron. Like, he's a yeah, huge Flannery yeah, yeah. O'Connor fan. But I remember like for years, I would try to open it up and read through, and I'd, you know, I'd read some short story about some guy in a monkey costume, and I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, she was what is going very on? Very strange and yeah. dark. And then and... I'd just like put it down, because I, yeah. I don't know, because I'm not a great person, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, there's, a, um, there's a guy coming on later where we're going to talk about, he's like a... Flannery O'Connor expert, which I don't know how you become that, but but well, I'm not a Tolkien a expert, about. but well, that's true. But you talked like a lot. <laughs> you talked a lot about Tolkien. <laughs> that's cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think that's about what I'm reading right now. Yeah. Um, it's it's now that I finished my my studies, I've been able to just pick what I want, and it's yeah, nice. It's that's nice. nice. You don't have to write and a paper on it. it. Exactly. Yeah. Just enjoy it. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been really nice. But what else has been going on? You're getting up to the to the high weights, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
because uh, I'm also I'm doing boxing uh, mm-hmm. with my kids, so doing that and jujitsu too, right? Uh, yeah, I, I I'm slowing down on jujitsu because I'm considering not definitely going to do it, but considering trying a one boxing match just to give it a shot. Oh, nice! So because of that, I want to kind of focus in, yeah, um, on that for the little bit of amount of time that I get to do it. Yeah. Um. So we'll. So see. you're gonna we'll do see. like but, what? How does that work? You'd go to normally it's like a Golden Gloves tournament or something like that, and it's only like three three one minute rounds, yeah. and you wear a helmet. So because well, wait, still, not like still, a bike helmet. No, not like, like a bike a, helmet. Like but those like soft yeah, boxing yeah, yeah. helmets. That you and uh, and um, you're they do it by skill level or something or yeah, so experience, it's age, age, weight, and experience. Okay, yeah. So I'd be going against the guy about my age, about my height, about my. You're gonna cut a weight. lot of weight right before, so you can no. slam him. No, I, I, at most I'm like so. Right now I'm about two sixty five. Yeah, and I'm gonna drop to maybe two fifty. So, for some reason, I feel like those maybe those fights are the most dangerous because it's oh, yeah. just well, guys you're... going in that are just like, hey, what the hell? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's just swing. Let's just swing Let's at just it. Swing. Um, but wow. if you come in with some skill, I yeah. mean, you know, you can hold your own and stuff. And I mean, yeah. I've, I've been, I've been doing boxing on and off for a decade. Yeah. I just never got in a ring and actually did it officially or anything. So three so, one minute rounds, yeah. um, are you going to go for KO or, or would, do you think it'll just come down to points to most of those, those kind of competitions? So I went on points. YouTube and watched a bunch yeah. and the majority of them go down to points. Yeah. Um, yeah. like very rarely do our guys get knocked out yeah. at that level? Yeah. Um, because I'd still go in as a novice, yeah. you know? Um, so, but I, you know, the potential of getting knocked out or knocking somebody out is still there. So it makes it fun. Yeah. But well, it's kind of one of those things too. Of like, I also want to deadlift 600 pounds, right? Yeah. Well, the yeah. potential of, of breaking my back is there too. Really? You, you could know? break your back. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying like hurting yourself, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, like the other day I, I reached the goal of my, I was benching 400 pounds. Nice. Um, and you know, the potential of ripping a peck is, is very much there, but it's kind of one of those things of like, it's a goal I've got. Yeah. You know, if you do it smart, you yeah, do yeah. it, you know, methodically. How do people rip pecs the, most often? So most often it's, it's, um, just pushing through a pain and yeah, then pushing through a rips. pain, not paying attention to injuries, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and not doing it methodically. They're just kind of jumping in, jumping in, jumping yeah, in. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, most of the time guys that are doing it, they're not benching 400 pounds. They're benching like 550. And know? are you doing the whole, the Dorian Yates kind of like, just like uh once a week going to max four reps to try to. No, my, and then eat so as much I'm, as possible. Yeah, what I'm doing right now is made by this guy named Jim Windler, um, and it's called the Five Three One program. Okay, um, there's actually a free app you can get on your phone that you put in your max, uh, and then it gives you percentages. And so, like the first, it's a, basically a four week program. You just do it over and over and over. So the first week, it's um, of course every exercise you you uh, do three warm up sets before you get to your actual sets. Okay. Um, and so like the first week it's three sets of five, um, of you would do one day of squat, one day of deadlift, one day of shoulder press, one day of bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, do you week, have a goal for your shoulder press? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 275. Okay. Is that normally included in the, cause normally you count the total weight of like deadlift, bench and squat, right? No, yeah. It's not, it's not considered in powerlifting oh, okay. Okay, uh, okay. stuff. It's, but it's just something that you wanted. Uh, I wanted, you want to yeah. be able to shoulder press. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, in terms of like athleticism and stuff the the military press the stand-up shoulder yeah. press that's that's a legit it's good for your body thing absolutely yeah um so but then the second week you do three by three and then the third week you do one set of five one set of three one set of one mm-hmm. um and that last set on every week 
you try to even if it's you know ending at five if you can get two more reps do two more reps yeah. you know, that kind of thing and then the fourth week it's a deload week so the whole week you're just doing lightweight um same amount of reps all that kind of stuff but just very lightweight not yeah. taking it too hard and then you're right back at it yeah um and for me i've noticed a major gain in my strength mm-hmm. um it's it's not going to change your physique as if body like bodybuilding does but strength um, but strength ends up kind of changing your physique anyway like my waist my waist is still pretty small and all of that so it's been i i like it it works really well for my body and your your workouts at most most are 30 minutes those Um, power lifters are crazy like they don't look like bodybuilders but man they can like move some (laughs) yeah move some plates powerlifters and strongmen man those those are big dudes do you think you'll compete Have, have you ever competed in like powerlifting or like so not in like an official way mm-hmm. um but when i was in college i did a few little yeah. side things you know yeah. um so you're just focusing uh, on the boxing just focusing on the boxing right now yeah I, it's Man. fun good luck whoever's gonna box jared gosh <laughs> so we'll see I, I it's uh i told my coach you know I, i'm really interested but i want to do this safely i want to do it methodically yeah so he's like okay i'll be there with you and just kind of help you and tell you if you're ready or not and he's nice. like, and i was like i want you to be honest man if you think i'm gonna get in the ring and get knocked out like yeah. don't let me get in the ring he's well because so, you'll be going up against some pretty big dudes pretty big dudes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so the one thing i've got going for me is i i, I am decently athletic for yeah. my size so yeah, i can yeah. move quick and stuff like that and cardio but, you were cardio pretty hard yeah. yeah um so that's I think a, an advantage um, that I'll one have, minute but, is not long. I mean, that's no. like a quick, that would be a quick burst. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny how much a one minute, cause even just sparring, yeah. we do like three minute rounds and it feels like you were just sparred for 30 minutes. Yeah. Your adrenaline yeah. is so up there yeah, and you're just yeah, yeah, yeah. ready to fight. Um, yeah, man. So I remember being in a gold's gym and I wanted to spar uh, like, it was just like some gold's gym that had like a little boxing area in the back and it was really sketchy. This was in high school. And so I like, I was looking for an MMA place and I couldn't find one. Then I was looking for Muay Thai. I couldn't find one. And my dad got me a Gold's Gym membership so I could do the boxing in the back. And it was so sketchy, man, because like there would hardly ever be anyone back there. And so I'd have all my gear and stuff and people would just like walk in and just be like, let's spar. I remember one time, like, I was like, well, I don't have a mouth guard. And this guy who seemed like he knew what he was talking about. And I, I was really, I really wanted to spar. I loved sparring. This guy was like, oh, man, just go get just go uh, get a bunch of paper towels from the bathroom and roll them up and put them in your mouth. <laughs> I was like, OK, sounds legit. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, that would work. Yeah. You could still get a bloody lip from that. Yeah, it was the worst. It was the worst, man. That's funny. Yeah, man. But yeah, the yeah. Three minutes is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So we will do three one minute rounds. Yeah. So it, that. You know, the main thing is just try not to take, you know, wear yourself out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you got to up your cardio and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. That's exciting. But, that's yeah. Really exciting. Um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, six kids. Um, wife's doing well. Um, love my job. It's. Yeah. Talk place. about the job, man. Word on fire. Got to yeah. represent. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my official position is the director of outreach and mission. Okay. Um, and if people have been listening to Bishop Barron lately or picked up his recent book, uh, to light a fire, mm-hmm. uh, upon the earth, the, the big vision that he has is the idea of a word on fire movement, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so in large part I was hired to strategize what that means yeah. and strategize concrete steps towards yeah. it. And so wristbands got to have wristbands, got t-shirts, t-shirts, t- um, tattoos, tattoos, yeah. <laughs> Um, but so it's kind of step number one, we've got kind of like this big vision, you know, of a movement and, and, a, you know, evangelization movement of sorts. Um, and then 
step one really is to create a formation process. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. what I've been kind of planning and strategizing over the past year. And we're going to be launching some stuff later. And with the formation, what's the formation like? Like just intellectual formation or is it formation in like in the, the word on fire strategy? Ethos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. in the word on fire ethos. Okay. Um, so, um, I mean, I can't tell too much because we got to wait until we're ready to, true, to true. start publicly announcing it. Well, if one but... were to do it, if one were to, <laughs> right. well, you think about like the best practices of, you know, you watch Bishop Barron explain the faith, yeah. right? And you watch something like Catholicism series. Yeah. The, the best practices that are involved in both his way of speaking and in the Catholicism series is where mm-hmm. we're going to try to form people yeah. how to do. His, and his... our main focus is evangelizing the unaffiliated. Mm. Um, so that'd be atheists. Um, as agnostics as well as um, just I call them apatheists or yeah. you know the, the spiritually indifferent. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, because that's the fastest rising religious grouping uh, mm-hmm. in the United States right now. So we're trying to figure out what's best practices to go get those kind of individuals, and so yeah. that includes things like um, like just recently Bishop Barron did an article on Dr. Gene Twenge's book. Um, and uh, in large part, it's just kind of a sociological and psychological view of the 15 to 25 year olds. An article on who? Uh, Dr. Gene Twangy. Whoa. Uh, Gene Twangy? J E A N. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one right there. This one, the least religious uh, yeah. generation. Um, that's interesting. I Jim. Yep. He. Uh, he had a fantastic. You're gonna, have, um, you're gonna have a lot of show notes, man. Oh, dude, we always, always, man. <laughs> um, he uh, he did a really he gave a really great uh, talk at Facebook headquarters on how to have better dialogue. Yeah, man, I yeah. thought it was so great. Yeah, it was it was yeah. He did such a great job of. Um, I didn't feel like anyone who was listening to him would be like, oh man, he's just talking about religion the whole time. You know what I mean? Right, like right. did a great job of um, talking smartly and, and really bringing the conversation up a notch to philosophy and some of the bigger movements going on in in history. And yeah, I thought that was a really, here, I'm going to throw that in there. Yeah. That was but, a fantastic. But trying, trying to, you know, take uh, what he does so incredibly well and be able to create a process for people to better form themselves and how to do it as well. You know, so yeah, like what? What? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can't give it all away, but but uh, what have you? What are some of the things that you've been thinking about that are very important for that? Or what, is, what are some of the things you see when like just working with Bishop well, Barron? One thing in particular is his understanding of culture. Mm-hmm. I, I love it, and you know, because a lot of times within christian circles there's a tendency to say oh anything modern culture is is terrible yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and just just throw it out kind of ga- the catholic let's make the catholic ghetto and just like right. keep everything right. out so for example yeah. right like me reading game of thrones mm-hmm. in certain crowds yeah like, what are you reading that trash yeah. for you know yeah. um but to me i mean that's a number one new york times bestseller the the hbo series was one of the most successful in hbo history mm-hmm. So to me, to to ignore, and this is what I've learned from him, is to to ignore the impact that it's had on people mm. is doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Because for us, rather, the better route of access here is to be able to better understand that world mm-hmm. and speak speak 
about it from a Christian lens. Yeah, to, to engage people. it. Yes. To engage it, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I've always, I mean, that's what originally got me involved with them is my, my love of the fitness world and not in a way of saying, oh, it's all vain, it's all ego, it's all, but rather let's find out the good stuff inside yeah. of it and speak to that. Yeah. Um, and so how to teach people how to do that mm-hmm. um, is one thing that we're really uh, going to focus on as well as like, because that's one of our, our, our really founding principles of Word on Fire is, 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 you know, engage the culture with Christ, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so with that, it's, it's not operating from a moment of fear, mm-hmm. but rather a just, okay, it kind of is what it is. You mm-hmm. know, like if, if something's super popular, then there's a reason for it. It's, yeah. What do you say to people though, who are like, well, if you read that stuff, you're exposing yourself to the demonic, you're exposing yourself to, to, um, temptation, you're exposing yourself to all this, like, like there's the whole, I think I misquoted someone when I was talking to Tony Vicinda about, uh, like that quote where it's like, why would you want just a little bit of poo in your brownie? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, you know, most of the brownie's great, but just, you know, it's just, just ignore this little piece of poo. <laughs> well, whose poo is it? <laughs> no. Um, I, it's, I think it, it matters on balance, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some individuals that have a tendency towards certain vices, maybe, maybe they yeah. should, maybe they should not pay attention to it. But, um, like, and again, going back to what Bishop Barron teaches is like, well, the best thing you can do is form yourself in the classics mm. and, and the great minds that have already come before us. Yeah. And so if, you are, if you've already kind of formed your mind to think like Augustine or mm. think like Aquinas or, you know, I mean, Aquinas was one that engaged the culture, absolutely, yeah. you know, to, to talk to Averroes and, you know, many of these other philosophers. Yeah. A lot of Christians were like, what the heck are you reading yeah, their stuff for? Yeah, he used everyone. Yeah, even Muslim. the fact that he was Aristotelian yeah. was, was somewhat of problematic. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we don't think of that now, but at that time, it it was they considered him doing wrong, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so to, to form yourself in these minds like Chesterton and, and even like O'Connor and, you know, these people that really understood culture and how to speak to it. Yeah. Um, then when you're reading stuff or viewing stuff that's, we would consider, you know, potentially mm. uh, problematic, you're, you're viewing it from that lens yeah. as, as opposed to, um, where, which is where most people look at as just surface level yeah. of like, well, it's just an entertaining story. Like I just recently watched, um, there's a movie on Netflix called bright with mm-hmm. Will Smith. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought it was really good. I haven't I, seen I, it. I mean, of course I'm a big fantasy guy. It's got orcs in it and fairies and all yeah. this type of stuff, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's a really different style of story, but there's some problems. I mean, there, you know, there's some nudity in it and some other things. Yeah. Um, but it, to to totally ignore it, I think is it's like well, okay, but you know they said the same thing about um the uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, oh right, really? or, or Frankenstein, yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah some yeah, of these yeah. books when they first came out, I was like, oh, what yeah, is this? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like well, okay, it's gotten to a, a, another level. Yeah, you know, it's certainly turned up the volume. Yeah, but I definitely to, to totally ignore it. I definitely just, think, especially in you know, in, in the climate of our culture right now, or the climate just in general, like on Twitter, on on social media, that to come out against something is very quickly turned off as opposed to, as opposed to pointing out the things that are great in something, 
is mu- people are much more open to that. You know, exactly. like if you walk up to someone and go, "Oh, you're watching that movie." He, all of these things are wrong with it, right? It's like they're just gonna, they're just like, <laughs> right. get away. Like we don't want any, <laughs> exactly. you know. But if you come up to you like, do you think about like, oh yeah, I like that movie too because of this, and they're yeah. like, what? Well, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that. You know, exactly. Um, and I and, like. Bishop Barron does that extremely well, yeah. you know? Um, and so that's what I've kind of tried to take in not only in my own life, but in this, you know, moment of formation is trying yeah. to teach people how to do that well. Um, and it's going to take a lot of, you know, independent reading as well, because yeah. you've got to form yourself in the catechism and in scripture yeah. and in the great minds. I mean, I think the catechism, I know you're, you're mm-hmm. the catechism guy. So, um, is obviously a great place to form your mind yeah. and this kind of stuff. Um, but then also to engage, um, like, like the, I mean, I'm reading, you know, about, um, the Socratic dialogues and in large part, because it's this like ancient form of, um, literature that, that still is extremely true today, yeah. you know? And yeah, so yeah. to better understand modern culture, you have to also understand ancient culture. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing I've always loved, like from Dr. Anthony Esselin and Joseph Pierce and people like that because it's it's so vitally important for us if we're going to engage the culture to understand um, good culture and, and where it comes from. Yeah, and to be okay to kind of wade out into the wade outside of our Catholic bubble yeah. and yeah. and just and just read those things and figure it out. I, I still to this day, one of the most formative experiences of my life was in high school. We just had a book project and we had to find a short story or a book of a certain number of pages and I had no preconceived notions of this book that I got off the shelf, read through it and was trying to figure out like, like, whoa, like what, you know, and it was The Stranger by Albert Camus. Uh And I'm like reading through it and trying to figure out what is this about? And what is this, like, why is this book so important? Why, you know, why is this such a, um, yeah, why at the time was it such an important book and all these things and how does this relate? And, and, uh, and I just basically taught myself it as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, listening to what someone else said about it. I had to, I had to kind of discover it myself. And, and still to this day, it was one of the most, I think one of the most pure, like learning experiences that yeah. I had because I just waded out into the deep and just like picked this random <laughs> yeah. thing. And, and then that suddenly, addictive, doesn't yeah, it? It yeah, yeah. Really addictive. Yeah. Um, just and it of, helps you to form an opinion. Of yeah. Too. And to wrestle with it. And yeah. I'm like, man, I don't like this part of the book or what the heck it's right. like, you know, and then to figure out what, you know, Albert can't, like you said, you know, researching the author and what's going on in his life and what was he, what was he struggling with? What was going on at the time? It's really fascinating. Yeah. And I think it, especially in terms of like evangelizing the, the non, Mm-hmm. NES, yeah. right? Which includes many different styles and demographics. You've got some people that are going to want to ask the big questions, yeah. stuff like, you know, does God exist? Yeah. You know, you know, why, you know, the problem of suffering, things like that. But then you're also, and I, and certainly, I mean, Bishop Barron is obviously, you know, one of the champions of saying, don't dumb down the message. Yeah. Come, come to them with reason, come to them with, with, with answers. Yeah. Um, and, and smart answers, not just, you know, uh, the yeah. simple, the simple things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then on the other side of it too, you also have a demographic within that, that, um, aren't going to ask those big questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be asking things about like, well, what's, what's going to make me happy? And, yeah. and is it wealth? Is it being a good parent? Is it, you know, these things, but then you're also going to have some people that aren't going to care about that either. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to be the people that care about like, what the heck does this have to do with me at all? Yeah. 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 How does this affect you know? my day to day life? Exactly. Like, what like, does this have to do? Like, with is me? this going to help me, you know, make more money or whatever? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times, 
and you and I have had several discussions about the necessity of relationship when it mm-hmm. comes to sharing the gospel. And um, a culture is such a good place to start yeah. with all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, through weightlifting and, and martial arts and all that kind of stuff, I've met numerous different kind of personalities and different kind of people. And, and you know, a lot of the buddies that I have, they're kind of like, I mean, you know, I'm not going to ask you how to explain the non-contingent reality of God, yeah. you know, but they want to talk about the latest Bruce Lee movie, mm. you know, that just came the, the, about the, uh, what's it called? Birth of the Dragon, yeah. which I didn't like. But, <laughs> um, you know, to talk about like his philosophy talk yeah. about, and to be able to speak to that, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to also talk about why did Chael Sonnen just beat Rampage Jackson, you know? <laughs> Like to be able to talk about that yeah, stuff, you know, yeah. and, and, but, and have that be kind of a starting point of, of interest and yeah. a starting point of trust, yeah. uh, as well. And, and not with the desire for this person to turn into a project mm-hmm. that I'm going to bring into the church, you know, but rather just because they're a child of God, I'm going to love them regardless. Yeah. And, and especially if people, I mean, this is especially true with, with younger individuals, you know, high schoolers and middle schoolers, but it's also true with all of us that, um, if you re- if you reject someone's culture or just something they're really passionate about or something they love or something they like to do, maybe they haven't thought super deep about it. But if you just come in and reject it, in some ways they take it as you rejecting them. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like... And, and they'll brush you like, off. Yeah. They'll brush you off. Yeah. It's like, I, wait, I associate myself with Dave Matthews' band. <laughs> yeah, why, yeah, do you, why do yeah. you think it's for <laughs> Exactly. Like, scumbag. my whole life, I've been defining myself by Tupac's poetry, <laughs> and now you're going to come tell me yeah. that he's just a thug and yeah, nothing yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would rather come to you knowing what his lyrics are, maybe knowing what a few of the songs are, yeah. and talk about some things. You know, yeah. I mean, like for myself, I love Tupac. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to listen to him a lot more than I do now, but yeah, yeah. and I do believe there's there's some true poetry involved in it. It's kind of this like poetry of the street, if you yeah. will, or like poetry of this guy's life. Yeah. But then there are some songs that it's just like, well, this is just a party song. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Oh, another way to cuss. You it's know? always <laughs> interesting, regardless of what someone's into, it's always interesting to ask why are you into this? Yes. What do you like yeah. about it? Have you heard of Tony's, uh, the threshold podcast? Yeah. yeah. So he basically just gets people on of just all sorts of beliefs and just goes, why is this important to you? Yeah. And awesome. I think that is really fascinating because it's almost like, I don't know. Do you think there is, um, I mean, I, I think we do both believe this, but it's almost like there's some, there's something inside of us that is regardless of, um, our political views or our religious view, or maybe we're into some really weird stuff, but there is some part of us that's, um, even when we do the most benign, boring thing, we're like looking for truth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like people at a, <laughs> people at a Justin Bieber concert might not tell you that. Right. But right. it's like, they, they can't describe it. When they're but, seeking the transcendentals. Yeah. 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 Truth, good, good, goodness and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the Justin Bieber thing, they're, they're seeking a certain kind of beauty, yeah. whether it's through music or Justin Bieber himself. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> that dude is tatted up now. I, yeah, I, I saw a picture of him the other day. He is like very tatted up. Has he found God recently? Heck of a well. I think he's had some spiritual awakenings. Okay, um, okay. But I, I don't know a lot about him. I'm yeah. not really a big fan. Some, I like, like drug, songs, drug induced spiritual awakenings. Maybe. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I have no idea. It might be similar like to the Jim Carrey thing. Oh, uh, have you seen, dude? It's so good, dude. Uh, wait, what? What the Andy Kaufman? Yes, documentary. The Andy yeah, Kaufman. What's so it called? Good. Andy and Jim or something. I think so. Yeah. So weird. Yes. So weird. Well, and and you and I come from the same uh generation where Jim Carrey kind of defined yeah. our comedy. Yeah. Like I was the mask as at Halloween yes. in fifth grade. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean like like Ace Ventura. 
I watched that movie over and over, mm-hmm. and I could mm-hmm. I could quote almost the entire movie. Yeah, now. man. So he kind of defined comedy for a generation. To, to, so to see him as a true artist. And also as kind of this weird dude goes but, off the deep end, yeah, man. Yeah, but for, for the for people who haven't watched this on Netflix, it's I think it's yeah. called Andy and Jim, maybe or something, something like, like that. that. Or, yeah, Jim and Andy. And it talks about this movie that they shot a while ago, right? And then all this footage the that the they, moon. yeah, all this footage that they Kaufman. took behind the scenes um, that they weren't able to publish until recently that they just got the yeah. rights to. They, he's, he turned into such a character actor that he got so into the character that people would he wouldn't answer to Jim. Anymore. Yeah, he would just. I be loved Andy. it whenever he was Andy's character, who was the the jerk with the. Yeah, uh, he's always carrying whiskey and yeah, had a mustache. Yeah. I forget that, the guy's name. Yeah, I forget um, it too. Man, but the the story when he talks about uh, he got invited to the Playboy Mansion. Yes, and he sent his Jim and friend, Andy. Jim and Andy. He sent his friend to go. Yeah, that was the funniest thing I've. <laughs> it was so weird. It was so weird. Oh, um, I can't. We'll just put it on. Jim and Andy, the great Jim and Andy. There we go. Yeah. Um, do you think Jim Carrey? <laughs> what, what is your what is your uh, what's your diagnosis of Jim Carrey's mental health right now? <laughs> well, I think After he's actually Sianu. in a better place than he used to be. Because remember, he used to be, he, he was suicidal for a while. Oh, I didn't. I don't remember. Yeah, that. he actually. Um, I remember hearing a story of him. He tried to hang himself and it didn't work. Or oh something. wow. Oh. Um, and so I th- I think he's in a better place now than he ha- than he was. Yeah. But you know he's got that famous quote where he's like, "I wish everyone would do everything they've ever desired and have all the money in the world to realize that's not what they're seeking." Yeah. You know, yeah. and and so um, I know for a while he was into like law of attraction mm. uh, for a little while. Um, yeah, he did and, that and thing where now, he, he wrote himself a he wrote himself check, a check yeah. for like and he did it. a million dollars. You know, he did it, and yeah. obviously we would say, well, that's because you took the actions yeah. to go towards that. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. But um, I think he's always been pretty spiritual guy. Um, I'm fairly certain he was raised Catholic, hmm. um, but I, I think that now he's kind of in a moment of seeking, and, yeah. and I obviously I think he's into kind of Eastern mysticism. Yeah, um, but. To me, it's a it's a starting place. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, for him to at least recognize there's something beyond this world mm-hmm. yeah. is a major step for a lot of people. Yeah, he seems smart. He yeah. seems like he's very self aware. Absolutely. Um, which I feel like sometimes can be very rare with people who. And s- it, comedians are so different, especially comedians that um are like him, where they become characters as opposed to just like comedian as themselves. Well, yeah, that's and that's the whole thing with. He talks about how a lot of his movies represent what he was feeling at the time, yeah. but also that uh, th- the trajectory of his career, he's been trying to figure out who this Jim character is and yeah. then yeah. playing Andy and then figure, you know, trying to figure out, I think in one point in the movie, he literally is asked, you know, like, so who is Jim or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And he's like, he, he's like, ah, Jim, Jim yeah, like <laughs> I, I've become this new, <laughs> this new thing. Yeah. <laughs> So it's yeah. So it's very in a in a very small way. I I've experienced that. If you've ever done like a play or anything, all of yeah. us have experienced it. Some where you kind of enter into this other yeah. character, but he did it at a level that was yeah. way beyond the normal human being. Yeah. And so he said he was like channeling Andy big time, and yeah. and just kept a- you know just kept asking. Was it you that posted on Facebook about it? It changed the. It had the same um, like audio from Jim and Andy, but it was using the Grinch. Instead of Andy Kaufman, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was so funny. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a funny. I have to find that. I don't know. I don't even know where how to find that. But uh, I don't know. That was a really interesting documentary, though. I oh I wow, Pro- it. produced by Vice Films. Interesting. Wow, I did not know. I did not know that. Yeah, that was nuts. 
Yeah. And it's funny because Andy Kaufman was kind of a weird dude too. Very yeah, so. strange. And like, and like, uh, I didn't realize I knew that he did a lot of this. Um, what would you call that type of, uh, comedy where he's like, he's like Perry. He's, it's not, I don't know. The only thing I can think to say is like postmodern. Well, like he's standing up and purposefully doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. For some like weird funny he effect, started, started reading a story. Yeah, like just sat up there and started reading a novel. Yeah. Have you seen it? Okay, and you gotta like, watch okay, this. when is this going to end? And he just kept going. Yeah, he kept going. Okay, he kept going. We gotta. Have you seen his Saturday Night Live audition? Yes. Okay. Okay. We gotta. Here, let's do. Um, Andy, Kevin, We gotta listen to this. So just listen. This is crazy. This is his um, audition. I don't know why, but I found this really funny. He's just looking around. <laughs> oh, where's this? Where's the sound? This is a great podcast. Where's oh, yeah. the sound? It's not making any noise. Why is it not making any noise? Sorry, folks. Well, we get put it in the fix. show notes. We can go watch it. Oh shoot! Dang it! That didn't work. But, you know, there's just kind of those like. So how many of you guys have ever seen a- that worked? <laughs> So how many of you guys have ever? What's going on? What were you going to say, Jared? Well, it's just interesting. Like, you know, one reason I like watching documentaries is because you learn about like personalities of people. And I like, I like reading biographies because mm-hmm. of it too. And I think you learn, uh, you know, kind of go to back to what we were talking about a, a minute ago of like within this kind of demographic that we think of, there's so many different personalities yeah. and the way in which you not necessarily narrate or, or well, I guess frame the gospel to that person. Mm. Um, it's still taking the same message, but it's kind of framing it to what they would appreciate, you know? Um, and so I, I like reading like biographies and watching documentaries like that. I, I also recently watched um, a documentary on the Klitschko brothers, which oh, are, no, so they heard. were both heavyweight uh, champions of the world from the Ukraine. What's the documentary? Um, just called Klitschko. Uh, Klitschko. Man, you're not you're not helping me out with the well, I'm sure difficult should, to spell. Yeah, Vladimir and Vitali Klitschko. Klitschko. Both born under communist Ukraine, and they used boxing basically to uh, come up and out. And, oh, it's just uh, called Klitschko. It's just called Klitschko. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's these two brothers that I mean are just you know genetic phenoms. Um, and true, based on true story. Oh, yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah, it's, it's about them. Huh. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's fascinating to watch, but like you, you just see these people's stories. And um, I think so often when we're talking about evangelization, we have to be very aware of the other person's story because um, you never know, right? Like what made, yeah. what made Andy Kaufman into that kind of dude? Yeah. You know, man. or what made Jim Carrey into that kind of dude? Well, I think Jim Carrey, uh, he, he had a very sad childhood. And I think he would. Like wouldn't he try to make his mom laugh and up. stuff and yeah. shoot people up and it's weird how many comedians struggle with depression and yeah. and anxiety and stuff like that. I yeah. feel like that's yeah. Anyways, that make me that you know makes me an artist, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, depression automatically makes you a comedian. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> oh man, dude, I have this weird idea that um that I want to go try stand up at an open mic. Really? Just to try just it. Give it a shot. Just yeah. to do it. Just the idea of of 
writing yeah. and then going and trying it, especially because it scares the crap out of me because it sounds like <laughs> such a stupid idea because it sounds like what a lot of people like a lot of people watch like a few Netflix Netflix uh, uh, specials and then go, I should try stand up. Right. <laughs> it sounds like a horrible idea. Would you come? Would I you would. Come? I Open would. Mic? But you know me, though. Remember, my, my sense of humor is dark and weird. Yeah. I'm so going to be just trying you, to make you, you be, laugh. You need to be doing dark, weird stuff. Yeah. That's what makes me laugh. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it just in my boxers. The whole thing. The whole set. <laughs> well, kind of reminds me of like on the uh, the Andy Kaufman thing where he was. Um, I forget the character he was, but he had you know, the mustache and the whiskey and all stuff. And he was doing a stand up. Yeah. He went out in the crowd and was actually like pretending to be very angry at this guy. <laughs> Poured his drink on him. All this type of stuff. And it was totally an act. Hell man. You know, like I would. I would die laughing. Yeah. Like because that's my humor. The I think part, that stuff is so. The part funny. that caught me was when Jim said, um, "Andy was any." It's so true, but he's like, "Andy was the type of guy that might not ever tell you that it was. Yeah, a, it was. Yeah. A, it was an. Even act. whenever he came out and told him that he had cancer or something like that, a story yeah. said like, like, wait, are you? Being yeah, they're all like, right they're like, all like, like you're. Kidding. This is too much. <laughs> this is too much. Like you can't, you can't do this. Like this is too much. <laughs> so it's so crazy. it's so funny because it reminds me of how messed up it is sometimes. Uh, that I like to do things that only make me laugh. Oh yeah. Do dude. you ever do this? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. It's like no one else understands that this is fine. a joke. It's the best kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, yeah. That's uh. <laughs> here we are. Here, we, here are. we are. Here we are. People are basically listening to 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 us catching to up. Us catching up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. I really love the in person better than over Skype. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. I've been doing a lot of Skype interviews, and I man, the in person is just so much the, the better. The conversation is probably a lot more easy to flow. Do you think Joe Rogan pays people to oh, fly sure. out? Yeah. Like he'll just pay for them to fly. I'm, I'm sure. Would you yeah. fly out for a podcast interview to talk to someone for an hour and then fly back home? I mean, that's a pretty big stage to get your stuff out. Man, yeah. Do you, so, at one point, like Dave Rubin. Yeah, he said thing. like thirty million downloads or something Jeez. like that, like per episode they're that's getting. Insane. Holy cow! That's yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, but I know you like their bro science. So yeah, I love the bro. It's science. funny because he's he is extremely intelligent, but yeah, but he I'll, comes off as a bro. Yeah, you know. Well, he's just very susceptible to to like so, like very um surprising sounding yeah research or studies right yeah, like yeah. it's like did you know that uh, jaguars in the Middle East eat ayahuasca and then trip <laughs> or it's, it's just crazy. Crazy stuff, man. It's funny when he corrects his guests. Yeah. That because that must feel so humiliating to have <laughs> Joe Rogan correct your science. It's like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um anything else you want to promote shamelessly on on <laughs> on this uh, uh international podcast? You know? We got I mean, a lot of Canadian listeners. Nice. What else do we have? We have a lot of um listeners from another country too i forget which one speaking of i i uh recently got to australia hang out with a, a canadian friend and it was the first time my, my texas drawl was ever called out oh really yeah what and were the words because i've been all over the u.s and i've you know been a few other places but most people are like yeah you don't have that much of an accent well so we were sitting there eating and uh, we were talking about his family and um i was talking about his, his wife and said you know where'd y'all meet Where'd y'all meet? Yeah. Where'd y'all meet? He's like, wait, what did you say? Say that one more time. Where'd y'all meet? Where'd y'all meet? Where'd y'all meet? (laughs) Because they they don't hear y'all where he's from. Oh, yeah. So even the word y'all is kind of weird. Where'd y'all? 
Where'd y'all? Where'd y'all? Where'd, where'd y'all, y'all meet? And I was like, wow, where'd y'all that meet? That is where'd really y'all Texas, isn't it? It sounds like a like an exotic menu item at where'd like y'all? a weird restaurant. Where'd y'all meet? <laughs> In a big where'd y'all meet sandwich. What's a where'd y'all? Where, it, do you hunt werejaws? Yeah, you you hunt werejaws in. The, are they related to like werewolves? Yeah, they're, they're like, in uh, they're in the black forest in Germany. Uh, yeah. That's where my people are from. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah the werejaws. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, normally I don't get called out for my uh, Texas accent. How did that but, feel? Was that embarrassing, or were you? No, actually, were it was proud? interesting because I was like, wow, I finally have like a <laughs> a, a, a thing ethnic identity. Yeah, yes, <laughs> dude, I know the feeling. <laughs> us like us like white guys that are like I'm one eighth German. And two sixteenths Austrian. Yep. It's like you're white. Forty man. different things. <laughs> you got nothing to claim. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So for him to go, wow, you really sound like a Texan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <gasps> I have a homeland. Yes. Yes. I went outside and enjoyed. I, I kissed the ground for the first time. Uh, that's you know? gross. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got nothing else, man. This is it. Okay. Um, Anything you want to do, man? You want to play a game? You want to? <laughs> Um, you want to play truth or dare? No. Okay. Yeah, no, not in a way that <laughs> I got nothing, that, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. Normally I'm more hyper well, on these podcasts. Well, take your, take your brain stuff. And, I did uh, before you got here. <laughs> I took one alpha brain. I took an alpha brain. Nice. But that just kind of, that doesn't necessarily make me hyper. That's true. Just kind of makes me like focus, focus yeah, yeah. or it's a placebo. That's true, but you know what I've always said? Yes. Although, except for the amount of money sometimes it takes, I'm okay with the placebo effect yeah. at times. How, because if I, it makes me feel like, yeah. it's, like it's working, I'm okay with it. But if it's very expensive, <laughs> then I'm going to go, well, what's a cheaper option? What, yeah, what's a cheaper placebo? placebo? <laughs> yeah. What, I don't understand why people are so embarrassed if they, if they succumb to the placebo effect. Like people, right. There are some people that are like, no, it's not placebo. I'm like... Dude, that means my brain is freaking powerful. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. I, I fell with a placebo. I, I tricked myself into believing I, I have more energy. <laughs> I tricked myself into believing something. I don't know. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Um, well, I've got an article coming out, depending on when this is going to be posted. Probably um, today. Oh, okay. Probably in an hour. <laughs> uh, about uh, brotherhood. Um, okay. So look out for that. Um, it's interesting because brotherhood. I've been, I've been doing. Does a it lot exist? Of, Jared Zimmer will <laughs> tell you. I've been doing a lot of research on like the the lack of um, connectedness between men, right? Mm-hmm. Of like our, you know, some people call it tribes. You know, like there's Other a people really call good it book, Brotherhood. Yeah. <laughs> there's a really good book called uh, Tribe by Sebastian Junger. Uh, where he actually talks about and you and your uh, hard to spell tribe. Well, you know Sebastian. Sebastian Junger. Yeah, it is. might be Junger. I don't know. Kind of like Carl Jung. Jung. Um, okay, on tribe. homecoming and belonging. Yeah, he okay, has a really so good TED talk this. for anybody too that, that would prefer to just watch that. To just day. not read a book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, he talks about like how uh, you know soldiers at war. They um, come home. In fact, this was recommended to me by one of the uh, uh, Anthony D'Ambrosio. Oh. Um, and how when soldiers come home from war, 
um, at least in the the modern sense, they're coming home to sort of this like lack of connectivity yeah. between people, and that's part of the the, the danger of PTSD is that mm. they're coming home to no support system, really, particularly between other men. So they almost even if they're like missing a limb, yeah. would rather go back to the trenches because mm. there was this connectedness, yeah, uh, there. And so, have you, have you seen that video or whatever about the science behind um, kind of what you're talking about, the science of addiction? Have you, t- have you seen this? Mm-mm. So there's there's this video that talks about the science of they do these studies on on like mice where they give mice um, I don't know like cocaine or something they can they have this one bottle that they can eat from that gives them whatever cocaine or heroin or something like that this huge up this huge like dopamine shot in their brain which we would consider highly addictive right and they take. Uh, two sets of mice that both have access to the drug, right? And they let them do the drug or whatever. But then with one set of mice, um, they put other mice in there with them or give them other things to do. And uh, when they, when they are around other mice, they stop using as much drugs just voluntarily. Wow. And then they also, um, they also, you know, someone talked about how in, uh, in Vietnam, there was a, a high level of drug use. But when you followed people that came back home, almost like a lot of people uh, stopped using these highly addi- what we would used to consider addictive drugs, um, and they found that I th- I don't know I'm, I'm, I might be butchering this, but most of the people that that were able to stop had strong family or community wow. support, and that it's it's less of a drug thing and more of just finding community and and another way to get the dopamine going in your brain and that a lot of people who succumb to these addictive drugs are just lonely wow. and that if you if you give that if you give them these meaningful connections with other people then suddenly they volunteer they just don't need it right like the mice themselves were just like we just didn't need that we don't need that stimulation because we get that from this just interaction with other things yeah and that it's kind of a <clears throat> i mean obviously like you know some people say we're not postmodern. some people say we are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're a very individualistic society yeah and it's been shown now i mean through that study as well as through this younger guy study yeah ab- about the need for just good community yeah and uh the interesting thing is that it's at least from his studies and some of the other studies i've i've uh, looked into it it hits men harder um why particular. is that do you think well um you know, well, naturally throughout all of history, you've seen men come together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just been, I mean, that's why we have militaries. That's why we have, um, but like Dr. Anthony Esselin, you know who that is? No. Uh, so he's a Catholic professor um, and he's written several books. One's called like Out of the Ashes okay. and a couple other ones. But he talks about how like even like the, the Renaissance Guild and Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, we, because of basically it's like this master apprentice relationship, you know, but it's these men coming together, the band together, they're working on their skills, they're learning all that kind of stuff. Um, but from that we get Raphael, Michelangelo, Botticelli, you know, all these other people. And it's like the inklings. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like a lot the of inklings. these groups yeah, of guys. Absolutely. Um, but for some reason today we, it, it, it we're just not doing it as much anymore. And there's several reasons I think, um, as to why men are a little bit worried about that. And we've talked about it before. How some people just struggle with being vulnerable. And do you a think, lot of times, do you think some people, do you think that's, that's part of, I mean, it sounds like it's obviously part of the draw to like joining the military or for join, sure. to be part of something for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- and I think it's naturally wired in 
men in particular in a, in a specific way. Obviously, you're going to have outliers and different things like that, but um, we naturally desire um, that that brotherhood. Um, and oh, and and uh, in Sebastian Junger's work, he talks about how there's this really interesting story during the um, expansion of America into the West where you start getting, you know, the Europeans involved in like Indian culture and all this kind of stuff. There was actually this phenomenon where people that ended up getting either taken slave or taken into an Indian culture after they came and got quote unquote rescued, they would desire to go back really because the culture was so close knit and strong. Everyone played a role and Mm. every, it was, he said, there's other factors at play, but in general, they were truly in a tribe yeah whereas in the west we've kind of had this individualism um since the enlightenment really or maybe prior to that well how how would we how would how would we as like modern or postmodern people like like what what should we do start growing communal gardens in our neighborhoods or something <laughs> like what do we well, join think, join a jujitsu club or something or? right i mean that, those are two really great ways i think to, yeah. to start doing it I, I mean you know in the past we've been able to have parishes yeah you know, and you and you would often have like ethnically driven parishes or you know oh yeah that's true. this is the polish parish yeah. this is the yeah and, but that doesn't exist anymore huh. you know um but i do think that men struggle with it because um many of them have not been okay with like just being open and vulnerable with another man like in what way so coming to some coming to another man with and some saying, struggle I, you've had in your life and being like come here man i come, need a hug well yeah like going to another guy and saying hey uh um, things are not good at home give me a back or, massage give me, yeah <laughs> my shoulders are killing me um you know some a lot of guys struggle with that yeah and and i think that it's gonna take us kind of overcoming that and i think also um, hey there. you know, one thing that I, <laughs> Hey there, sorry, I got to um, show you this after this, you know, like even the idea of like working together on a project, you know, in the past you would have communities coming together and building each other's homes together, you know, and you would have, you know, when a church was ready to be built, they'd be bringing bricks from their, you know, place and, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff that, that doesn't exist anymore. So yeah. I think being able to find creative ways to maybe like bring back like the shop class or mm. bring back um, even, even just our, like one of the reasons I like the Catholic creatives is, is because it's creating this community of people yeah. that are after the same thing. Yeah. Um, but to do that in more of a, a local way yeah. and in a face to face way. It's an interesting idea to think about instead of uh instead of just, you know, if you, if you wanted to build a shed or something, getting other people involved yeah. in a way that, that uh, allows you, allows allows them to be needed and then you look at the thing that you built and you're like oh yeah there's you know kevin helped with that and yeah. you know richard from down the street did this yeah. you know and then it's like this communal we kind of we kind of have <laughs> so lost that kind of the uh paradox of my of my experience mm-hmm. is that you know when my back fence fell right in my house yeah the wind knocked it over so i my that's a, my that's back a crappy neighbor, fence if the wind was, the wind just knocked it yeah. over well, this is texas wind too, oh so. okay uh but anyway so i my back neighbor super nice guy went and talked to him uh, he's very handy. You know, I think he's an engineer. Like he touch, touches trade. you a lot. Well, no, like mm, touchy handy as in he's good with tools. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, he just like, yeah, I mean, you know, if you want me to go get all the supplies and we'll split the cost and build it together. Well, over the next few evenings, he kept buying the stuff and we'd build it. And, yeah. and then, you know, it, and, but, but in the end, an eight foot fence turned into a 10 foot fence. <laughs> so <laughs> like this was fun, but you stay over there. now. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was fun. We're like, literally helping each other keep each other out of our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect example. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got to watch this. I, I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna play it over here over the the. the here you go. Listen to this. Ah, oh, shoot. Just feel good. Can also. Ah, oh, this is the wrong. Oh, here we go. This is it. This is a dick. Wrong one, guys. Wrong one, everybody. Here, there's some filler. Filler. Oh, this looks like an interesting. This looks like right up your alley, Jerry. I think that's about a video game. Oh, okay. Okay. What causes, say, heroin addiction? This is a really stupid question, right? It's obvious. We all know it. Heroin causes heroin addiction. Here's how it works. If you use heroin for 20 days, by day 21, your body would physically crave the drug ferociously because there are chemical hooks in the drug. That's what addiction means. But there's a catch. Almost everything we think we know about addiction is wrong. (gasps) Turns out it's wrong. Hopefully this is all true. If you, for example, break your hip... You'll be taken to a hospital, and you'll be given loads. Okay, of wait. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna skip ahead months. a little bit. Uh, okay, here we go. The rats. Here we go. Out earlier in the 20th century, the experiment is simple. You take a rat and put it in a cage with two water bottles. Two water bottles. One is just water. The other is water laced with heroin. Or heroin water. <laughs> every time you run this experiment, the rat will become obsessed with the drugged water and keep coming back for more and more until it kills itself. Oh my God! Isn't that crazy? That's dark. But in the 1970s, Bruce Alexander, a professor of psychology, noticed something odd about this experiment. The rat is put in the cage all alone. It has nothing to do but take the drugs. What would happen, he wondered, if we tried this differently? So he built Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats. Heaven. It's a lush cage where the rats would have colored balls, tunnels to scamper down, plenty of friends to play with, and they could have loads of sex. Everything a rat about town could want. That's all rats want. (laughs) They want slides, balls, and rat sex. (laughs) And they would have the drugged water and the normal water bottles. But here's the fascinating (gasps) thing. Turns out. Rat Park, rats hardly ever use the drugged water. They hardly ever use the drug water, which you would think that rat sex would be way better if you're drinking <laughs> heroin water, right? But no, they don't. Like, right? None wow. of them ever use it compulsively. None of them ever overdose. But maybe this is a quirk of rats, right? Well, helpfully, there was a human experiment along the same lines. Vietnam War. 20% of American troops in Vietnam were using a lot of heroin. People back home were really panicked because they thought there would be hundreds of thousands of junkies on the streets of the United States when the war was <laughs> the zombie over. soldiers. But a study followed the soldiers home and found something striking. They didn't go to rehab. They didn't even go into withdrawal. 95% of them just stopped after they got home. 95% really? of people who used and abused heroin in the Vietnam War when they got back home just stopped. Isn't that crazy? Wow. But we just consider heroin. What about Born on the Fourth of July? What's that? Is that a Taylor Swift album? Oh. It's a Tom Cruise movie and he's addicted to heroin. Yeah, he comes back from (laughs) Vietnam just totally broken. Well, maybe he didn't have a great family to come back to. True. If you believe the old theory of addiction, that makes no sense. Right. If you believe Professor Alexander's theory, it makes perfect sense. Professor Alexander. If you're into a horrific jungle in a foreign country where you don't want to be, and you could be forced to kill or die at any moment, doing heroin is a great way to spend your time. But if you go back maybe to your nice could be your <laughs> could be a great way. It's the equivalent of being taken out of that first cage and put into a human rat park. It's not the chemicals; it's your cage. We need to think about addiction differently. 
Human beings have an innate need to bond and connect. So what's interesting about this, uh, Danielle and I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, Danielle and I have done, uh, have done marriage counseling and I've even done a few sessions just like one-on-one with our, our counselor, Dave McLeod. He's awesome. And he's Catholic counselor. And one thing he talks about a lot is communion that like we're, we're wired for communion. And when we feel like someone else, when we, when we're missing communion with someone else, we'll go to other places for it. So Mm. it could even be. TV, video games, it could be some of the vices, right? Smoking or drinking or some of these other things. But we, we're we searching when we're just like scrolling through social media. Yeah. We're, we're searching for communion in whatever that, whatever that means, right? Like, and the more I think about communion, the more I think like, yeah, someone looking you in the eyes, someone seeing you for who you really are, yeah. someone accepting you, someone that you can give yourself to like this idea of communion. I mean, it's where we get, you know, the word community, but I, I don't know. This makes total sense to me. It does. Yeah. It makes total sense that when Everything you don't, I knew about addiction is it's wrong. Totally flipped on its head. Now. Turns out <laughs> if only Russell brand got the memo, that's true. Right. Silly Maybe Russell. it's in the book. Maybe it's in the book. Silly Russell. <laughs> Silly Russell. Well, we've done a lot in this in this podcast episode, man. Talk we've done a lot. Tolkien, fighting, rat sex, addiction. Andy Kaufman. We had wow. some pauses here and there, but wow. we 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 just we we conquered them. Dived right in. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think, man? What do you think? That's fun. Do you want to do you want to promote anything before we go? Do you want to tell anyone about anything? Um, I mean, if anyone wants to connect with me, the best places are are Facebook or Instagram. Um, <laughs> be sure to uh check out word on know, fire word on fire and uh everything we're doing there got some really great stuff coming up this year um there's a really good podcast with bishop baron on some things coming out in 2018 so mm-hmm. go listen to that as well um and i also i i guess every now and then i host the word on fire uh podcast the oh word nice show so does it go just um, just like this podcast went in a certain sense, it's yeah, just I mean, like we've, got, we've got a, a little bit more focus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually write questions, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but that's always fun. I always, you know, get to. What's that podcast called? Bear. The Word on Fire Show. The Word on Fire Show. Yeah. Elijah, no, go. You gotta get out of here, man. The Word on Fire Show. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Sex, babies, and a prophetic pope. Yeah. If that doesn't make you want to listen, I don't know what will. (laughs) All right, Jerry, give us a give us a give us a saying to to close out. Oh, um, any of them? Where'd y'all meet? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I guess that counts. (laughs) All right, Jared, thanks for coming into the studio. Absolutely.